Welcome to the next episode of Grid Forward Chats, a podcast series with industry leaders on what lies ahead for our electric grid. I'm Bryce Yonker, Executive Director of Grid Forward and host of our podcast series. Today we're talking with Justin Segal. Justin is the Chief Strategy Officer over at Uplight. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bryce. It's good to be here. Can you briefly share a bit about Uplight and your role there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're coming up on the one-year birthday of Uplight, which was formed uh, when we merged Tendril and Simple Energy to form the industry's leading end-to-end engagement provider of software solutions. We touch 110 million homes and businesses uh, through in partnership with uh, our 85-plus utility partners in North America. Uh, and uh, I have the great job of being chief strategy officer, uh, which means I spend my time focusing on where's the industry going, uh, what are the strategic partnerships with our utilities, as we've been very active in M&A, uh, what are the other companies to bring on the platform, uh, and really how do we help meet the future of energy with a really customer-centric and digital first mindset. And so I think it's the greatest job in the world at the, the best company in the world. So our paths crossed with Uplight and Tendril and you and, and a number of other folks. I, I know you were at the helm of Simple Energy for about a decade. Can you talk about your background and what led you into this current role? Yoav and I started Simple Energy uh, about 10 years ago, which feels like uh, eternity ago and yeah. yesterday, depending upon the moment. Um, and, and before that, I was working in renewables. And at the time, there was sort of a moment when I felt like I needed to get into uh, the customer side of the equation, which was I was working on some wind projects in MISO and looking at the interconnect queue. And with all the projects that were already in the queue, it was going to take until 2137 <laughs> for the transmission to be built out to build all of those wind projects uh, in the Midwest. And I looked at that and said, we're not going to solve the carbon problem. Uh, we're not going to solve the energy transition if we wait until all of the transmission gets built out. Uh, what else can we go do? And so really the sort of the decade uh, that has followed started with the hypothesis that uh, people were part of the solution and that if we were able to get people to take action uh, with the insights that they had, if we could bring the value of data and intelligence and control technology that customers, people, humans could be a part of the solution uh, rather than being an endpoint, rather than being a meter, rather than being just a source of demand, that actually that the demand side or the behind the meter was an inherent part of the solution. And so uh, that was that was sort of my impetus in, in getting into this and, and has been part of my uh, personal mission my entire life around uh, creating a more sustainable future. And, and so that's... Uh, what I'm always measuring against, what am I doing and, and how am I having the maximum impact? And as I think about how we get people uh, involved as part of the solution that meets the needs of, of society, uh, that that's the most important thing to go do. And that's what we have the benefit of doing in collaboration with our partners uh, at our utilities and in the ecosystem every day. Let's dive in. So last year, Uplight took on you know a pretty sweeping strategy, bringing in a number of companies together under one roof, uh, Simple being one of uh, really quite a number of uh, rather established firms out there. Can you share a bit about the thinking around that strategy? Um, and I'll have some follow-on questions as well as to how it's going. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, so let me set the context. Uh, we have a customer advisory board that is made up of about 15 uh, senior executives from utilities across our, our customer base. And a lot of the pull and strategy came out of the, the feedback we were getting there and in other similar settings, which was that as utilities were looking at this need to transform to meet this new energy set of demands that were more distributed, more democratized, more decarbonized, more digitized, uh, that there was a different kind of partner model needed. And so the the legacy of turning to some very large institutional firm to do everything for you as a big monolithic set of technologies no longer met all of the needs. Uh, likewise, that they were then finding themselves oftentimes being the systems integrator between smaller innovative startups like all of the component companies that then formed Uplight, and that that really wasn't the best place to be that there was no partner who could do innovation at scale, uh, no partner who could do the end-to-end, bringing together the best-in-class point solutions alongside then the interconnection and the value that comes from that. And so that was a real pull that we were hearing from the market that really meeting all the steps across the customer journey and being able to map that to the business and regulatory outcomes that the utilities had, uh, that there was a missing piece in that. Uh, And so that was the foundational thesis of the merger um, and and of the four other acquisitions that we've done. Um, So really, you know, what we're seeing is the benefit of bringing together the six companies that were the best of breed in their individual solution sets And now in less than a year uh, of bringing that together, seeing the better experience that comes from stitching these pieces together. Uh, So we've seen about half of our customers add more services, right? We have a couple dozen different product offerings where most of our utility partners had one, two, three of those products that they're finding, well, hey, if I add on to my home energy reports, a marketplace, so a customer who gets a personalized recommendation for them clicks a button and buys a thermostat that's now pre-enrolled in a demand response program that's getting managed in orchestrated energy and getting more capacity without any snapback because the customer is comfortable, they're seeing the stacked value of what comes with that. So bringing two companies together has complexities. Uh, six is kind of a, another level of pain. How, how is that going internally? Are you finding good synergies? Are you still working your way through that? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's easy. You just tap your fingers and it's done, right? <laughs> like that's that. Um, uh, so I've come to say putting six companies together all at once is not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it's certainly not a uh, easy process. Uh, you know, the way I describe it is, is in some ways we're, we're bringing together seven different cultures. Uh, why seven? Because we had uh, six component companies and about a quarter of the company as we continue to grow are people who were hired into Uplight uh, and had no predecessor company from which they came. And, and so anytime you have different ways and different norms and how people work and how they operate, uh, there's, there's a real need to bring that together. Uh, what I would say is is that we've had our bumps in the road. Uh, it's been a challenge. Uh, none of this is ever easy. And I would say it's going well. And, and let me say why it's going well. Uh, the first is it starts with, we talked about already strategy. Uh, people understand why, right? E- even I can long for, oh, the days of the company that I founded. And anytime I have that long, I go, and we're doing things at a scale and a kind of impact that we never could have done 
but for that. And that's unquestionable. That's just fact. And we're seeing that play out in, you know, we did more business in Q1 at Uplight uh, than most of the component companies did in their prior year in their entirety. So there's just a scale of what we're doing and then a corresponding scale of impact. We're, We're driving enough controllable load out to customers in a single weekend that's the equivalent of building a peaker in a weekend. Like that's a kind of thing that you can't do otherwise. And so, so that's a rallying point. You know, we as people like a, what is a big mission to be on uh, and our mission to motivate and enable energy users and providers to accelerate the clean energy ecosystem is a rallying one for us. Um, and, and really focusing then on, on the values and operating principles that bring that together uh, and doing the hard work to say, here's all of the work that it takes to get these things done. How do we understand the upstream and downstream of, of getting that work done? Um, the last thing I'll say is, is, you know, people often think you're putting all these companies together. That means you have to start from scratch and start all over. Uh, in many cases, different companies were already working together. We already had places where our products were being delivered together as partners or alongside each other because the utility had picked one, two, three, four, five of us independently. And technologically, we, we have been very intentional. This is not a go rewrite everything in some different language and convert it all to the fill in the blank uh, tech stack. Uh, these are all companies who built in modern architectures with microservices and RESTful APIs that we're better able to bring together. One of our acquisitions where we brought in uh, new disaggregation technology, for example, uh, we've already been deploying that out through other products uh, and that was a matter of, of weeks, right? And so uh, we've been intentional about that. And uh, so so that's a long way to say uh, it, nobody should think that you can go put six companies together and just snap your fingers and, and have it magically go. Um, but as with anything, the greatest things that we do in life are often the things that are most challenging uh, and also the most rewarding. So a lot of the kind of component areas that you guys are working in, I think many would conceive of them as rather complex. So are you guys bringing more simplicity and putting all these pieces together? Or are you still finding that the complexity out there still leaves a lot of room for, you know, where things are going to head um, with how your customers are engaging these sorts of solutions? The the point that you're making is, is there is a lot of complexity, right? And as we look at all of these things, whether it's in customer journey mapping, if it's in data architectures, if it's in delivery model, the nested complexity can be mind boggling, right? Here's the regulatory requirements from six different places. Uh, you know, here's the data silos that this is stored in lots of legacy old systems. And, uh, you know, here's all the requirements that has to happen for a customer to opt into a new rate, let alone onto a demand response program, let alone, you know, if I'm a commercial customer, the 50 different rate choices of varieties of demand rates and so forth, like it is complex. My observation in in our firm belief is that that complexity does not need to and should not go forward through to the user. All too often we take the complexity, like we don't ask people to go understand all that it takes to transmit their bits and bytes of data over the internet. You sign up for a plan and all the complexity is handled on the back end for you, right? I don't have to go deal with all of the complexity back when we used to go out and interact with people in, in, in person, right? I don't have to understand all of the complexity. I press the button and a car shows up and picks me up. 
right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes to make it that the right person showed up at the time that they said and took me to my destination, right? That is the opportunity that that we have now in energy. And that's really the, the, the fundamental focus for us is take all of these grid needs, all of these utility side needs, be they regulatory, be they grid operations, be they business model, right? And how do we really then connect that to the thing that a customer actually wants, right? I want it to be clean. I want to be comfortable. I want to have new technology. I want to have my, you know, energy as a service. I want to have my mobility as a service. I want to have this thing taken care of for me that meets sort of the needs in the way that that, that is met, as opposed to, okay, go fill out this form with these 20 pieces of data. And now for your next step, go fill out a very, very similar form yet again, uh, send it in. Okay, now go find the 10 digit number on a piece of paper that we sent you and go log in to see your AMI data. You know, that that's the way that all too often this has been done. And, and I don't fault people for that because it was meeting each individual independent need of some silo of the energy ecosystem. Uh, and if we really move to this more user or human centric model, uh, I think there's a ton of power of just tapping into what people latently want to do, but they're not willing to navigate the complexity. Mm-hmm. So can we pivot a little bit? It, it, you guys have data and insights into so much of uh, what's going on for consumers out there and users out there. So as I think about Uplight, you guys provide about as much customer engagement as, as anybody you know in the ecosystem. H- how are customers doing in these uncertain times? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that question, Bryce. Uh, and and certainly by bringing together six best of breed companies, uh, we take pride in having the most customer engagement solutions and data and insights, and and really try to stitch those together in, in ways that bring value. Um, I'll share a few insights uh, in continuing to get these in because we're in kind of the unprecedented times that nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, one of the things we initially saw was that weekday average residential usage uh, is going up. Uh, in some cases, 20% or more. We saw even 30% in one geography. Um, and certainly that, that that's starting to change as stay-at-home orders are lifted. You know, But interestingly, if we look at the shape of the load curve uh, is, is something that, especially in areas where you have time of use pricing you know, or other constructs, that we've seen some of that peak load increase you know, 20%, 35% in another area, um, and also the shape of that load curve just being very different, right? So it wasn't matching the, the, the sort of typical curve because you know, people were waking up later because uh, they didn't mm-hmm. have to commute or were signing off earlier because virtual school ended and you were seeing things ramping. And so um, you know, it, it, it produces some interesting things. You know, if we think about demand response as an example, residential re- demand response, you know, 65% of residents are home during an event. And so, you know, most of the typical DR that just says, I'll blast it cold before the event, uh, you know, and then shut it off and hope you stay comfortable is fine if nobody's in the house, right? But but now when most people are in the house, 
uh, that's where it's critical to have some of the things that that we've been building and designing for uh, for a long time, which is how do we keep you comfortable through the entire event or through the peak period, right? Whatever the, the version of that is, and make sure that then you don't have this massive snapback that as soon as a DR event uh, ends, that everybody just cranks it because they got they got really hot. One of the critical areas that we're seeing a lot of our utility partners thinking about is uh, how do we help our small businesses, right? Uh, whether that is, you know, could they be on a different rate that they're not on, you know, and help them save money as they're trying to weather this time? Uh, are there other things that we can do to reach this typically hard to reach segment because they're suffering? And, uh, you know, the energy bill uh, is 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 one place that might be impacted to 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 help them, you know, sustain their business and really be the lifeblood of our communities. And so uh, that's an area that we're certainly looking at as as our utility partners of, you know, what insights can we arm people with? What things can we do um, and how do we how do we use this as a tool to help? some of these critical outcomes for, for, for businesses around the globe. Yeah. And back to the residential customers and your example of demand response, you know, springtime, mild weather, maybe doesn't have as much of a huge driver for a use of a, of a resource like that, but we're just starting to come into the summer. So do you guys have a sense for what does the solution look like if you might have customers that are caring more about comfort, you know, and we're still in either partial uh, shutdown or people are just home more. Um, do you have a sense of what the reverberating kind of impacts may look like as we really do need to use those sorts of resources? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, you know, one of the really exciting things that we've seen with our orchestrated energy product uh, is, is really driving those, as I described before, kind of meeting the utility outcome without having to go sacrifice the customer comfort or value. Um, and so what we do in that is, is we take all of those analytics that we have, the, the, the thermodynamic modeling we're doing of every individual home to create a unique cooling model for each home. Right. Because if you have leakier windows, you need to be cooler, you know, it, that then over time, you know, it's going to leak out faster versus if you have a very well insulated home, uh, you don't need to do as much. So understanding those pieces of how we do the, the management. Um, and, and one of the things that we've been able to see with that is that we can sustain a higher level of savings. So seeing anywhere from 1.2 up to 1.7 kW per home, uh, being able to sustain that for the life of, you know, say a four hour event without any snapback at the end. And what I mean by snapback is that, you know, in many demand response programs, you see you just drop it down. And then as soon as the event's over, it goes back up to above where it would have been. Um, and when we're dealing with any peak, but especially a peak that may be different in its timing, especially if you're in an area where you have a big solar uh, load coming off, uh, that snapback just creates a new peak. Um, and mm-hmm. so so one of the things that we've seen and how our utility partners are starting to, to really leverage the value of that orchestrated energy uh, resource is that in a capacity market, if you're bidding that in, right, that's valuing it at the lowest amount of capacity over an entire four hours, um, that that's more valuable as load. Um, and that again, as evidenced by the snapback and the lower opt-out rates, that if people are comfortable and they're not blasting the AC at the end of the event, then you've maintained in that individual comfort band. And that's part of what we do is to tune that again to that individual profile for the customer to where their actual comfort band is. 
because each of us is different, right? I might be comfortable at a warmer temperature and that's okay. Um, and, and, and so you're really starting to see how do we use that? Um, seeing some starting to target that around more kind of non-wires alternative type areas of can we get more customers in a particular geography uh, or can we use this alongside a different kind of rate rollout as well? Yeah, and and with regards to customers, are are they caring more or less about the same around energy topics? Are you seeing that they're engaging platforms less, more the same? Yeah, so we're uh, we are seeing that. I mean, we're seeing you know increases. If I kind of go across the board in our outbound communications, whether it's our high usage alerts, high bill alerts, uh, our yeah. electronic home energy reports that we send, you know, seeing higher open rates, seeing higher engagement rates with those uh, people are home, they're paying attention, they're looking at uh, what are things I can do to save, uh, you know, seeing utilization of, of some of our rate analysis tools on both the CNI side uh, and the residential side of, you know, what can I do to, to save money? Uh, in our Activate product line, you know, I think we all took a tactical pause as stay-at-home orders came in in place and saying, let's not market things to sell things to people because I don't know how they're going to respond. Um, but we've seen significant increases in, in sales, right? Because when we're sending the message to somebody that says, you know, when you have more efficient lighting or a smart thermostat or a smart power strip, right? Here, here's things that you can do and this will save you this kind of money. Uh, that's a message. People are at home, they're using these things and they're willing and able to, to take action. Uh, we're also doing some pretty interesting things uh, to, to try to really lean in on that helpfulness. You know, Consumers Energy is a great partner of ours. Uh, and, and we're running a program now to try to get a hundred thousand customers, uh, enrolled with smart thermostats. And, and that's a program, uh, that we've put together, uh, you know, that came out of some brainstorming with their team of, Hey, we don't know, you know, changes in CNI. There's a different need set for, for what are we going to go do? We genuinely want to do things to help our customers save. What could we do? And, you know, in six weeks, uh, we put together a program with, with them and with Google uh, that, you know, is actively in market. Uh, you know, we've, we've sold tens of thousands of thermostats uh, already in the first couple of weeks. This is a free thermostat campaign uh, that we're really bringing forward, uh, which is from investment uh, out of their energy waste reduction and demand response programs as well, investment from consumers, Google and, and Uplight. Um, the really exciting thing about that, when when we talk about here's how helpfulness and providing value to a customer can meet utility business needs, um, we're seeing 80 plus percent of people uh, who are eligible for that demand response program who are buying the device enrolling in demand response. The norm in the industry, you know, you see 10, 20 percent is really, really good. By bringing together that targeted marketing with a different value proposition and making it easy for the customer to get a DR-enabled thermostat is, is fantastic. And again, this is helping not only get something in the hands of a customer to help them save money, but also to help them save money in the long term, because this is helping enable consumers in their case to get to their net zero target right, to retire 1,200 megawatts of coal uh, and do that by pairing renewables with demand-side management and demand flexibility and optimization, both through rates and automation. And so I think the really exciting thing that we're starting to see is that 
customers have an awareness and a desire to find ways to save. And that when we're able to start to bring some of these things together of the programs and offers that are there, uh, both from our utilities, from their regulators, and from private sector partners like Upline and Google, uh, that there are ways that that being helpful to our communities and to our people in need uh, is not only not at odds with, but in support of clean energy, of community development, and and the general helpfulness goals that we have uh, in our in these communities that we serve. Can I change gears a little bit? You know, during a crisis like the one that's brought on by dealing with this pandemic um, and kind of the unprecedented, you know, dynamics, whether it's societal, economic, or, or really through any lens, it, it seems like a lot of areas may need to be, you know, kind of rethought, readjusted, realigned. I, I'm curious to know your, your thinking around, you know, can a crisis like this, you know, birth innovation and, and how does that take root, and, you know, within the energy and utility area? The unequivocal perspective for me is is yes, uh, that in a time of crisis where change is happening, uh, we can meet that with what is the opportunity coming out of that. Um, we can certainly also choose to, to shirk away for that, from that or uh, not use that as an opportunity. You know, as we look at some of these things, and I heard from, from some of our utility partners, I referenced our customer advisory board, uh, you know, where some of them were sharing stories with me of, We'd been talking about, could we do our call center remotely or could we do certain of these other things remotely? And we talked about it for three years. And then this hit and we needed to do it in three days and we did. My experience in in people in general, but especially in this industry, is you got to see it to believe it. And then once you've done something, you have a belief that you can do more. Right. And so, so whether that's that, okay, we can work remotely or we are entirely reliant in many cases on our digital tools today that we never were before. We had to be in person. We had to come visit a business owner's building. We had to come to somebody's house. Uh, there's a lot more that we can do in, in a different way. Uh, and so I think that that belief and that element of necessity uh, is driving a different kind of change and, and that you can innovate out of it or you can try to kind of brute force your old way of doing things into into the modern reality. And so um, as we think about this intersection of you know, many utilities, uh, many states, many regulators are now setting clean energy targets. And whether those are by 2035 or 2040 or 2050, uh, you know, we're talking about some pretty material changes that get us into a very different kind of, of operation, right? More renewables at a scale that nobody's ever operated before, which means a necessity for more demand flexibility, uh, more options for customers. Uh, if we look at the general consumer trends, right, people wanting choice, people looking for things as a service, right, rather than wanting to, okay, I'm going to buy this part and that part and that part, just give me the outcome. Utilities as this hub, utilities as this connection point, uh, as this enabler of all and, and doer of some, depending upon the jurisdiction or, or the choice, uh, that there's a lot of that opportunity that as people are coming out of that, there's going to be a need and people are inherently doing things differently. And so um, I see a ton of opportunity. I see you know leaders who are grasping that. Um, and I see regulators who are as well, as well as state leaders, right, who are saying, Here's an opportunity that as we think about how do we get people to work, as we think about how do we deploy incentives, uh, how do we help 
not only our communities, but also our small businesses? Uh, how do we help drive to, to meeting some of these goals that these are true win, 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 wins uh, for, for all of those stakeholders uh, and, and that there is opportunity there and also seeing that out of the private sector of, of here's new ways that we can, can bring these tools to bear. So uh, I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So I I have to look at uh, uh, any form of, of challenge and crisis uh, through my lens of, of opportunity to, to create value in the world. Yeah. So we're nearing our time. Uh, So sit back a little bit. I want to cover a lot of water in a very short amount of time. So, you know, broad swaths of our society are being majorly impacted and the electric grid, you know, from what I can see has been amazingly reliable, right? You haven't seen blackouts and you haven't seen, you know, major price hikes yet. Um, But I want to throw a term at you and have you come back with either one word, one phrase, or just an immediate quick thought just as to what you see going on in these areas. Um, So I've got a number of them. You know, we're not going to, I'm not going to give you a lot of time on each, but if you can just give me your immediate, like one word, one phrase, one comment back on each of these. You ready? Ready. Let's do it. All right. So renewable energy commitments. Faster and cheaper. Distributed energy resources. In abundance and used for their value. Price and cost sensitivity. A lot more of it, uh, especially for the people who are most impacted. Grid analytics. Necessary to meet the evolving way in which the product is used. Access to capital. Still in abundance. Importance of system flexibility. Massive and growing. Planning and forecasting. Uh, A critical input that needs to be tied to the customer side of the equation. Climate progress. I sure hope accelerating. The line between customer, distribution grid, and bulk markets. Blurry and hopefully uh, additive to the value across all of the above. Grid infrastructure investments. Necessary and growing. Utility culture. Wildly changed for the better uh, that understands that change is is possible uh, and that customers in digital focus are a driver and, and can help create that benefit. (laughs) Thanks for that thought exercise. So our last question, we haven't had a chance to talk about it, so we're not really building on it, but it's a major topic. So I'm going to let you kind of end on this one. So business models are getting tested right now, whether you're in any, in of any industry or in any sector. Um, What's maybe one thing over the shorter term and one thing over the slightly longer term, that you see playing out as it pertains to business models, you know, of the stakeholders in the energy and utility space? I think on the the short term, uh, there are just short term needs that people, that businesses are going to be looking for. So what is my best path to meet this need that I have, right? Be it, uh, I'm trying to reopen my business and how do I save money and how do I tap into then getting customers or how do I deliver this in an entirely different model? Uh, And to the extent that energy and thinking about the kind of foundational ecosystem as a way to go deliver that um, is, is going to be necessary. And, And we see this happening every place that, you know, 
our neighborhood uh, art studio is figuring out how to do virtual art classes for kids, right? They're building the instructional videos with you go and pick up your kit and it's a thing that people are doing. Like if you had asked me six months ago, would five-year-olds do a virtual art class? I would have said, no way. Like they wouldn't pay attention to it, but really good content with an intentional thought process is enabling a small business in Boulder uh, to to continue to to survive and 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 hopefully to to thrive, and so that's meeting this real just intrinsic inherent human need for the thing that we need to go do and adapting to the delivery model. Um, and I think that that's an opportunity that we have in the energy sector, uh, which is how does this touch into all other parts of our lives? Like there is nothing else that underlies everything in our lives, in our homes, uh, in our business, right? I always joke Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, starts with a uh, good Wi-Fi at the, at the bottom, uh, you know, but, uh, but, but if we don't have energy, right, uh, then we can't power our lives. And so uh, as we think about the longer term piece of that, um, you know, the interconnectivity, you asked the question on our rapid fire piece here, um, you know, about uh, some of the, the blurring of the kind of the blurring of the lines of, you know, power markets and, generation, transmission, distribution, customer, distributed resources, uh, this intersectionality is is real. People are getting, you know, things as a service. So how do I take my connectivity in my connected home to a demand response program or to my energy management? Uh, how does my mobility tie to my, uh, you know, my utility bill or my cable bill or my whatever it is, right? And I want an outcome and I want to pay the least as possible, or I don't want the headache, and I'm willing to not pay for the headache. Um, and everybody's different in that. Uh, and and I think that that really personalization at scale is the macroeconomic direction, right? And how do we meet? It's not, here's my big bulk thing, and you customer take it. Um, it's really meeting these unique needs. A low-income customer uh, in an urban setting needs a very different thing than a low-income customer in a rural setting. Uh, a small business uh, needs something different than a big business, uh, than different than an industrial. Uh, and so I think that that mass personalization is a trend that, that was coming uh, and that I think is getting accelerated and that those who are able to tailor that, to leverage that data, to leverage that experience, uh, to meet those real, you know, human or business needs uh, are the ones that are thriving, right? You know, Zoom, uh, you know, beat EBITDA targets in their last quarterly earnings that they reported yesterday by 122%. Well, people are certainly part of the solution. Uh, do you have any last words around that before we wrap up our conversation today? Uh, we're in a moment in time where a massive scale of impact can happen really quickly. Uh, we've seen that's happened for the good and for the bad in, in recent months, uh, and that it fundamentally comes down to, to human action, right? Uh, are we able to stay far enough apart and wear a mask uh, and take care of our society? Uh, and I think the same is true in the transformation of energy. We talked about you got to see it to believe it. There are changes that have happened uh, in the last few months that I don't think anybody would have ever ha expected to happen uh, in our industry uh, that people have proven to themselves that they can have a massive change in a very short period of time and that that comes down to individual agency and action. Uh, and so whether that's how do I create a better customer experience, how do I improve reliability 
rather than at the expense of something else uh, in service of uh, other value? How do I accelerate uh, a carbon-free energy system uh, that is at a lower cost and at a higher reliability? Uh, These are all things that I think are within our grasp and the kinds of things that we're doing, the kinds of actions that we're taking, that each one of us has an ability to go impact every day. Uh, And if we make that little change each day, that we can be in a materially different place when we look back on this a year from now, five years from now, and we say, this was the the catalyst to the new energy experience, the new energy future uh, becoming a reality. And I think it's all in each of our hands who who operates in this industry. uh, And it's not up to anybody else. We could do it. Well, Justin, thanks for being with us. Thanks for the work that you guys do to to make people a part of the solution. Congrats on one year. Uh, Here's to the next decade uh, of everything that you guys do. Thanks, Bryce. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening to today's session of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization and innovation ahead. Do you have an idea for one of our podcasts? Send me an email Bryce at gridforward.org. You can also check out our website, gridforward.org, for more information about our podcasts, the virtual events we have, becoming a member, and more of our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across the region. Thank you.